I got those results eight weeks later in the mail and I ripped open the envelope and I think I was wearing pretty high heels at the time, but it, the first word it was in capital letters that said congratulations wow. with an exclamation point. And I screamed and I jumped in my heels off the ground. Hey, this is the Money Hole Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, download, and leave us a comment. Today, I'm here with my friend, Anne-Marie. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate you doing this. Have you done a podcast before? No, this is my first. This is my first too, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, I, I want to just jump right in. You know, I we've been talking about this for a while now. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I thought of you, you know, we talk about money, we talk about how money is a part of being a wholehearted person. Right. And, you know, you see it all the time. So many people, I mean, everybody, they have belief systems about money that, yeah. you know, run to extremes. You know, there's people that have a poverty mindset. Uh, there's people that think that happiness is ultimately having an unlimited supply of money and it gets people's lives into messes. Yeah. Now you're a financial planner so you have a front row seat to that, yeah. you know, and you get to have these conversations all the time. So that was partly why I thought it'd be really fun to have you here, because I think you have a lot of wisdom and experience uh, with working with people and helping them, you know, sort through this thing and realize mm -hmm. how important it is. But I also remember several years ago when you shared your story one time at a business presentation. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the whole story and I'd love to hear it again, but if you could kind of fill me in and we can go back even a little further, you know, just like what was, what was money like for you growing up? And at what point did that change for you? Really realize like, this is an important thing. Like you, it, it isn't everything, but I definitely need to make sure I do this different. And yeah, before you answer that, I'll tell you like an example for me, I grew up poor and we mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of money, at least for you know, the definition of what United States would call poor. Yeah. And we, you know, we really struggled. My parents had, well, it was a single parent household most of my life. My mom worked very hard and we just didn't have a lot of extra money. We always rented, moved from house to house to house, moved from school to school. And so money for me equaled stress if we don't mm -hmm. have enough of it. And I had this perspective back in high school and junior high, I can remember it to this day, very insecure. And it seemed like the the parents who had money had it better than me. And the, yeah. the, and if, if I just had money, then I would be happy in life. And so what was your early childhood experiences with money? Yeah, it's funny you bring it up because I was just having a conversation about that this morning because the, the psyche behind money is probably why I love what I do so much. Um, I would say growing up, it was interesting. My dad was actually a banker. He did ag lending. Um, so I wouldn't say that uh, money was scarce, but it always felt scarce. There was kind of always this scarcity mindset around it. And so I just remember it feeling um, interesting, you know, a little bit of like jealousy when other people would get new things. You know, we always were pretty frugal and had used cars, but if someone would get a new car, there was always maybe like a mm. little dig or a quip about it. Yeah. Um, I also didn't know a lot about my parents' financial situation. I just 
always thought it wasn't good because they would um, be so so closed lipped about it, mm-hmm. or you know, kind of had that almost like a negative energy around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, looking back now, I think things were probably better than it was implied, but that was just the way that I grew up. So it's it's really funny you brought that up because we were just talking about that this morning. Um, it's interesting to me how deeply ingrained those uh, things we learned when we grew up uh, were about money. Yeah. And and so that carries into adulthood. And then I feel sometimes like I'm a counselor speaking to people about it because you can have a husband and a wife and he thinks way differently than yeah. she does. And so we have to navigate that. Usually one person's more prone to spending or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's the really interesting part about it. Yeah. Yeah. So so when you grew up, it wasn't necessarily that they had had it or didn't have it. It was more that they didn't talk about it. Didn't and talk so about it. So you were kind of left to wonder. There was some wondering. And, you know, we were just, my dad was conscious. We were frugal. There was a time mm-hmm. where my mom was a stay at home mom when my brother was little. So it was just being mindful, but almost to the extreme, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a, like a scarcity mindset a little yeah. bit. It, it was like it's hard to come by, it's hard to earn. Um, don't let it go. Hang on to sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Well, based on your experience and, and now, you know, being a financial planner and working with tons of clients, I know you have clients like all over the country. You're very good at what you do. You help me. Um, what would you say, or what do you tell people are some good things to do with their kids mm-hmm. to start helping them think about this as early as possible? Cause I have some things I do with my kids, but that's mm-hmm. a question I've never asked you, mm-hmm. you know, based on that. What do you, what would you recommend people do with their kids? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it it depends on everyone's financial situation. Um, we deal a lot with people that they want to teach their children to be financially responsible, mm-hmm. and maybe they have the means to give them whatever they want, but they don't want to. Yeah. So there has to be an accountability. So like what we do in our family, we just got our boys their first debit cards. Mm-hmm. So that's been kind of neat at the bank, but we don't just put money onto their debit cards. Oh, hey, we need 30 bucks or 20 bucks. It's like, okay, well, what chores are we going to do to equate to mm-hmm. you getting that that money in your account. Yeah. Or if they want it front loaded, um, then you're going to have to do a little extra because then we're going to charge you interest for the money that sure. we just put in there. Yeah. So trying to make them realize that it doesn't just fall from the sky or grow on trees, mm-hmm. that um, there's work that went into that. We worked hard to get it. And so you guys are going to have to as well. Yeah. So I try to recommend that to clients because mostly we're on the other side of it where they're trying to teach that financial responsibility. Yeah, that's really good. My kids are, well, I have the one-year-old, uh, but my older kids, five and seven, a few years ago, we started helping them learn how to to spend, save, and share. So we call mm-hmm. it the three S's. So we would we would give them a nickel or a quarter for little things around the house just to get the the value right. down. And, and honestly, we don't know what we're doing. We have some friends that have done this, oh, and it was kind good. of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's actually turned out to be really cool because what they do is they always take a third, they put it in their savings account to save for later dates, something they really want, the future. They get a little bit of money that they can go spend with mom at mm-hmm. Target or wherever they end up going. Yeah, and then they they take a little bit and they pick some sort of a nonprofit or, you know, kids that we sponsor in Africa. And then they get to be a part of that process of being generous. And, you know, we talk to them about what the money's going to do. And so, I mean, it's an experiment. I don't know where this lands, but, you know, 
I do like the idea when they get older of starting helping them understand the banking system like you're doing. That's that's really, really helpful. So, so going back to your story, so that's how you grew up. Tell me a little bit about, you know, this, the, the place where I think what I remember is you had, you know, just a everyday job mm-hmm. and you, some, there were some turning points in your life where you had a drive to do better mm-hmm. and you made some decisions and it wasn't easy from what I remember your story. Like, if yeah. any, and, and it was really difficult. And so I'd love to hear about where, how you landed as a financial planner and ultimately where you're at today. Yeah, it's it's a story. Um, when I got out of college, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. Uh, I'm from a small area by Eureka, California. Um, so what I actually went to school for was health and nutrition counseling, but there was really nothing in that field. I didn't have an entrepreneur spirit at that point in time to strike out on my own. So I worked for a bank. Mm-hmm. I worked for Umqua Bank and um, kind of saw a ceiling there. And then I saw an advertisement for like an advisor's assistant with a company in, in Eureka and uh, just thought, well, I'll just go ahead and apply. And I studied up on what little I knew about investments, which was pretty much nothing. I knew I had a 401k <laughs> at Umqua and that was it. Um, so it was, uh, I ended up getting the job and it was just a great place to learn about financial planning. The, the service level mm-hmm. to clients there was valuable, um, kind of a, a vanilla investment perspective, but from the financial planning uh, world, helping people with their taxes, estate mm-hmm. planning, it was really a great place to learn. Um, the other valuable part was getting certification. So in our business, um, the, the certified financial planner designation is really a mark of excellence, mm-hmm. um, but it's a wicked hard exam. Oh my gosh, it's so difficult. And so I just had it in my mind, I was going to take that exam and pass it. And um, who knew what the future would hold with that? But um, it was, I'd always just been able to put in the work, set my mind to something and then just get it done. And that wasn't the case with this exam. It was so hard. Well, you and you may get mad at me for asking yeah. this, but I, I think there's an important thing to, 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 to say. Yeah. Weren't you a single mom too at the time? Well, so no, I was going to add that uh, in the midst of it, I was going through yeah. a divorce and I was also okay. pregnant. So okay. I took the test the first two times. The first time I was about 20 weeks pregnant. The second time I was about eight months pregnant. And um, and this is like one of the hardest tests you can it's take. It's pretty hard. Like it, yeah, it's like a 50% pass rate. I, I mean, I've heard of people taking it like it is, I mean, people compare it to the bar. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like incredibly stressful, the preparation. Mm -hmm. It's insane. 10 hours over two days is what it used to be. I think it's a little bit shorter now in just one day. But um, yeah, I mean, I I was unsuccessful the first two times. And um, then right after that, I had my son. You actually don't get your results until like eight weeks later. So to to he was an infant. I got the results, and I was like, I just have to shelve this for now. There's no way I can. And you're do still it. working at the bank at the time, or the, was, you're yeah you're working at the previous the... firm. Okay, still gotcha. working there. I was actually okay. on maternity leave, and then so fast forward, I just put it down. I mean, and basically lost all the information I had gained. Um, so then about a year and a half later, I remember my dad of all people asking me like, Are you ever going to take that exam again? And I remember I just was like, I can't do this. I'm a single mom. I've got, you know, custody issues. I've gone through a divorce. Like, how could you even suggest that? But as soon as he said it, something triggered in my mind. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, that really sounded like a lot of excuses. And so I was like, I'm picking it back up. And so I did. I mean, I just for seven months, just up at four in the morning, studying weekends, having family support to help watch my son. And I just like 
threw everything at it and I took it the third time and still didn't pass. And it was just like third I can't, time. Third time didn't so pass. So you're you're working, you you have you're going through a divorce, mm-hmm. you've got custody challenges, you're raising your boy on your own, and you've already f- I'll say been unsuccessful. <laughs> I was gonna say failed. It's, you failed twice. <laughs> seven months to prepare for a test, you don't get results for eight weeks. This is a long shot. Yeah. And you're you're doing it again and you're waking up at four in the eight, four in the morning. Yep. Every day. Yeah. Wow. And and I didn't know whether to keep studying after I'd taken it that third time because not knowing the results, I, I felt pretty good. I was like, I think I did it this time. I really I mean, I gave it I gave it everything I had. I even got hypnotized because I was <laughs> had trauma from taking it before oh, being nervous. Tried so, everything. <laughs> so to get to get those results, man, I pouted for like a week. I was just so down in the dumps. And finally, I was like, I am not going to come this far to let it get the best of me. And so I switched um, the provider that I was using mm-hmm. for the education, and I actually got a tutor. And so, again, I just went after it. I was like, this is the best provider. This tutor is amazing. He explained things in a way I understood. I did a one-week-long like crash course mm-hmm. in L.A., just <clears throat> seven to eight hours a day in a hotel, just doing nothing but studying, and uh, took it the fourth time and Still didn't really know, but um, I got those results eight weeks later in the mail, and I ripped open the envelope, and I think I was wearing pretty high heels at the time, but it the first word was in capital letters that said congratulations wow. with an exclamation point, and I screamed, and I jumped in my heels off the ground. I cried. Um, I called the tutor, and he was just like, I think he probably didn't even think I could do it. He's like, fourth time, man. Your, your odds are going down every time, but... Anyway, somehow, somehow it worked and um, it taught me a lot during that process. So I wouldn't give it up for anything. Imagine what would have happened if you would not have taken it a fourth time. Because I was sitting here thinking about that as you said that. If if I was in your shoes and I was that close and I decided that it was too hard, too scary, I failed three times and I just don't want to do this again. It, the pain was too much. I couldn't imagine how much that would, don't you think that would affect, would have affected your life beyond just becoming who you are vocationally, but just in so many other ways, wouldn't that have been like a, to the detriment? Oh yeah. I mean, I think it was like a key turning point in my life. Mm -hmm. It's like you could sell out and just go the easy, comfortable direction and no one, no one would have given me a bad time for it. Mm -hmm. They would have been like, man, you tried, you gave it your all. That, that's all you can do. But it wasn't all I could do. And mm-hmm. so I was just like, no, I, I would have just known in my spirit, it would have bugged me for the rest of my life. Like I would, never would have let myself live it down. Well, yeah. And on the flip side of that, you did, you did pass it. And so, I mean, I don't know if you ever think about that. Like, is there ever times in your life, like we were talking about 75 hard earlier. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of hard things. You're very competitive, hardworking gal. That's one of the reasons why we're friends and I love talking to you so much. But do you ever refer back to that in your mind and go, if I can do that, I can do this? Does that ever come has it ever come yeah. to your mind since? I, I think it I think it was one of the first things I had ever done that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if I'm being honest, there was other times when I did take the easier path. Yeah. Um so I think it taught me like, okay, doing the hard thing and and that was wicked hard. Yeah. But it but it but here I am. They always say, but did you die? You didn't die. <laughs> you did not and, die. And you got stronger. Yeah. So it's like every time we do something hard, 
that we think is hard, like a one portion of the 75 hard or after you're done is the next phase where you have to take that five minute cold shower. I don't want to take that five minute cold shower. I'm like, that's terrible. It sounds awful. And I just thought about it forever and dreaded it. Well, then you do it and you're like, well, I didn't die. Here I am. And you get stronger. So it's almost like I was listening to a podcast the other day talking about like making calluses. Every time you do something hard, the next hard thing seems like it becomes easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you you create a new standard. Right. And what was hard, it it becomes easy. Yeah. No, that's so important for people to hear that because I I hear people making excuses all the time mm-hmm. for why they are where they're at. And you know, of course, you can't just always tell everybody around you that it's an excuse. People people don't like unsolicited uh call call outs for stuff like that. Yeah. But you know, someone listens to a story like yours, you know, you were, you know, dealing with all the things you were dealing with. You'd already failed it three times, took one of the hardest tests the fourth time and passed it. Uh, that's such a great message for people here. So walk us through where it went from there. Because I met mm-hmm. you obviously several years after this, but you you passed the test. You're still working for the firm. How how did things land you in Reading? And mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean, I always knew that there was probably going to be a cap where I was working, and and that was okay. Um, I also knew that there was probably more out there for me than just Humboldt County where I was from. But again, it was scary. Um, my son was, I think, three at the time. And um, I was actually in a relationship <clears throat> with someone over here. And so that prompted me to start looking for positions over here. And that's when I got connected with my current company. Um, and, and the branch manager, and now we're co-branch managers, we just kind of headed off. And I remember him saying, I think you're going to be really good at this, especially after hearing the story of <laughs> he'd taken the CFP once and passed. Mm-hmm. And he's like, wait, you took it four times? <laughs> he's like, I think you're going to be good at this. So um, so we, we moved to Reading. The relationship didn't work out on, on the romantic side, but the relationship on the business side really went well. And uh, at the beginning, I would say it was very, very challenging. It was just my son and I. I didn't know what, anyone. What year was this? Uh, this was 2013. So it was, it was 10 years ago. So it was yeah. like at the bottom of the housing market. So yeah. I mean, definitely in the middle of the recession. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, interesting times. You know, my family was far away. I was used to having a lot of support for babysitting for my son. And I didn't really know. I had no clients. I didn't really know how to get clients. And I didn't know anyone. So I just started networking, um, going to mixers. We started our own BNI group, which is where you and I met. Um, pretty much just like pounded the pavement and did everything. And Reading's an amazing community. And I figured that out right away. And what was also really great was being um, kind of instantly surrounded by other professionals who mm. were leveling up, yeah. which I wasn't used to that. And that was really great to start developing that type of community. Yeah. So you moved here because of relation that didn't work out. <laughs> you knew you not only had no clients, yeah, but you had no relationships, no connections, right. still raising your son. Um, I mean, that's so important that people hear that because th- you didn't go to a firm that hands you clients. Like, it, it's no. kind of like most sales businesses. Here's a desk. Here's a phone. Make mm-hmm. sure you follow the rules. Good luck. Go get them. Yeah. And I don't know what the failure rate is for a financial planner, but I know for in my industry, it's it's you know to make it three years, it's in the nineties that people don't make it. 
I think it's about 25% make it. Um, it may be a little higher now, but that's if someone is receiving a book, meaning that they're they're coming right. in to take over for someone else. They inherit else. someone else's clients. That wasn't yeah. my situation. Yeah. And they actually didn't want to hire me. Um, so the other branch manager had to fight really hard to get me, to get them to even hire me. They were like, she doesn't know anyone. She's, you know, coming from a different environment. This is probably not going to work out. And he's like, I just have a feeling like I think she's going to. And for whatever reason, you know, we went ahead with it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's parts to this story that I didn't hear the first time. It's such a good story for people. <laughs> I only to had hear. eight minutes when I was talking before. <laughs> yeah. so. Oh my gosh, Henry. <laughs> this is powerful. I'm so glad that you're sharing this with people. Um, well, so where, where are you at now? Like, let's talk about where you're at. I'd love to hear about your, your house, your family, uh, and then your business. I mean, you don't have to share numbers, but I, I think you, I mean, you, I know a lot of financial planners and you have a giant book of business. I mean, you have clients all over, you travel, you take flights to meet them and Mm -hmm. you have incredible people you get to work with now. And so for the people listening, she might not say it, but I'll say it. She's kind of a big deal now and she's doing really (laughs) well. And, and, uh, you know, we definitely refer a lot of our best clients to her, but you know, where's, how are things today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, things are so good. Uh, I, it's like, it makes me emotional to think of that. We have the best job in the world that people trust us to, manage their life savings and to help guide them in the most important processes of their life. The most important decisions were right there. So it's it's a huge and awesome responsibility that I I don't take it lightly. And it it's just it it amazes me every day. So that's wonderful. It's also been so good to be able to have a little bit of flexibility of making our own schedule, um, to be able to to do things with our kids, mm-hmm. to travel and take them if we want to, to go to sporting things. Um, because I mean it's the time that you want to put in is the results you see. Yep. So that's been so great. Um as far as personal life, you know, I, I met my husband in 2016. We got married the next year. He said he was never going to get married again. And then I guess I upset the apple cart. <laughs> yeah, you know him well. Uh, he's, he's a wonderful person. Uh, Chris was there at our wedding. We got married in Cabo. Um, so that was pretty special. That was pretty cool and and emotional. I mean, our kids were there. We're a blended family. So my stepdaughter's 20. We have a one-year-old grandson. She's married, lives in Idaho. Her husband's wonderful. And um, they've actually got another baby on the way. So wow. we're going to be grandparents again, which is awesome. And then our two boys happen to be the same age. So Ryder, my stepson's 14, my son's 13, and they're uh, graduating from eighth grade this year going into high school. Crazy. So, And then because my <clears throat> husband's a general contractor, um, it's been really great because he understands the real estate side of of life that I don't understand very well. And so two years ago, we um, bought about 10 acres in Palisadro and he built our dream home. And so now he's just been hardly sleeping, just trying to do all the things that you need to do when you build a house because you have the house, but you have uh, no pool. So now we have a pool. You have no gate. We need a gate. He's been putting the fence up. I mean, everything that comes with that. So it's never um, ending. It's never ending. And uh, I just feel really blessed to have him as basically a father to my son as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just been I can't even say their relationship is so special. So it's that's been awesome. so cool. Yeah. So just for the last few minutes here, I, I think it would be good. And, and this kind of goes back to the first idea we had that we talked about yeah. six months ago. So 80% of America right now lives paycheck to paycheck. Most people are 
afraid are always feeling some sort of a fear about money. Mm-hmm. Tons of people, you would know the stats better than me, but there's so many people that are in their 50s and 60s and they have they have no plans for retirement. Yeah. And things aren't better now than they were 20 years ago. In no. fact, they're worse and they're not looking good and we got inflation now. And you know, we have a, a society that is really um, encouraged to go out and get debt, get car payments. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait. There's no delayed gratification. Get mm-hmm. what you want, get it now. You deserve it. And you and I get to see the true messes this creates mm-hmm. for people every single day. And we get to try to coach people on that. So one of the things I just wanted to maybe spend some time on is just giving people some advice with what you see going on in the world right now, with mm-hmm. inflation being where it's at, with you know people not being able to make enough money to survive. And a lot of people have a lot of debt right now. Mm-hmm. What are some of the simplest things they can do that will put them in a position to invest? Because I post videos about investing a lot. Yeah. And some of the feedback I get is, I wish I had money to invest. Mm-hmm. Like That's a great idea, but I don't even know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And so what would be some of the things that you would say for someone in that position? Maybe they're in their 20s, their 30s. Maybe it's a young family who did not get the, they didn't inherit financial literacy from their mm-hmm. family like we didn't. Right. What would be something you would say to those people? Yeah. One thing I would say is, is that um, just even a little something makes a difference. I remember a couple I met with um, and they they were to the age that you'd want to be at retirement. And unfortunately, um, they really hadn't saved anything. And so we were we were trying to crunch some numbers and see what could be done, see what maybe they could put away now. And I remember she looked at me and she goes, you know, 20 years ago, I thought, what if I just put twenty dollars a paycheck into the into a, a interest bearing account and she, then she goes and I didn't because I thought it won't make a difference and she looked at me and she said but it would have wouldn't it and I said yeah it would have you know you, you'd be surprised obviously the sooner you start the better but every little bit helps so I would say that I would also say um a lot of times people because they have so many emotions and hang-ups about money um they don't want to look at it they don't want to look at where they're at and really give a true assessment or sit down with a professional mm-hmm. and um you should you shouldn't feel afraid you shouldn't feel ashamed uh, seeing where you're at is huge just being able to take an audit and assessment of where things are at because it's it's true no matter if you look at it or not but yeah, it's better I always, if you look at it i always compare it with stepping on the scale or looking in the mirror it's exactly you know, there's a the lot, same. A lot of people, exactly I've done it. I mean, there's been mm-hmm. times where I look in the mirror and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with what I see. Right. And there's times where I, I kind of run by it as quick yeah. as I can, you know, <laughs> I don't see that and it's like, I don't, if you do that for 20 years, you know, at some point you're going to have to face whatever's yeah. going on. And so it's better that we do that. And you know, the $20 a month at an early age, don't you think the habit even it, the amount doesn't matter as much as if she would have just done that to develop the habit and to and to start learning about the process. Don't you just feel like if she would have committed to that, the amount she would have invested down the road would have become more? Yeah, I mean it's it's just like anything. Like uh, Courtney, my partner, and I were talking about uh, just the the practice of the discipline of fitness and mm-hmm. how it's not that different than the discipline of budgeting or saving. Um, it's just 
doing something and then that feels pretty good. And so you can build on that and you're like, well, I could do a little more. Maybe I, you know, maybe I ran three miles today, but you know, I could, I could maybe go three and a half mm-hmm. or I did 10,000 steps. Maybe, maybe I could do 11,000. It's the same practice with money. Or maybe I avoided going to Starbucks, you know, three times this week. I only went one. So it's just those little things and it feels good. And so all of a sudden we want to do more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the emotions around it are one of the the things that I see for people that holds them back more than anything. They have fear, shame. Um, you know, a lot of people are so afraid to talk about their money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, we're both in coaching. Right. And I shared, shared this with you for a long time. But one of the things about what we do is we're very transparent about it. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it was a little weird, but then you start yeah. to realize how 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 it's so good to do it because the guy who's way further ahead of you shows you what he did to get there. Mm-hmm. There's people that are you know that you're helping up the line, and it's not a comparison thing. It's more no. here's what's working, here's how it started, and and you know that's why I really wanted to have you tell that story because you know a lot of people meet you, Anne Marie, and they they look at the car you drive. You know, you're always dressed very professionally. You've got a beautiful family. I mean, you're you're someone that when people look at you, I could easily see them thinking like, she she inherited that. <laughs> you know, she must have had if she only had my problems, like she'd never, you know, I, she wouldn't be there. Yeah. And so, I, but it's so important for people to know the stories of successful people because it wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. It was a grind. It was hard, and they. Most people that are successful and stay in that place, they didn't just land there and they didn't have anything handed to them. They had to fight for it. And yeah. I think that's really, that translates to investing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, the last thing I would ask you is if somebody finds himself in that place right now, you, you mentioned, you know, even if it was an interest bearing account, $20 a month, would you recommend that they talk to a financial planner? Yeah. And, and, you know, some, uh, there, there's a fee waiver for that. Some, you know, there, there's a nominal hourly fee, but that is so worth it. Um, no matter what it may be to just get, uh, sit down, look at the numbers, see where someone's at. I mean, that's the biggest thing is most people just have endless questions about how do I know how much I need when I retire? Mm-hmm. I just, I'm here and I think I want to get here, or maybe they have no idea a number, yeah. but they know what they want to do. And that's what's most important. We've got two daughters and we want to pay for their wedding. We do want to travel once we retire. Okay, well, we can help you get to those goals and, and put a number to that. And then it's like there's this piece that comes over mm-hmm. when you can see that and feel better about it. Yeah, there's for for people listening, there's a lot of retirement calculators that you can find on Google. I think Dave Ramsey has one, mm-hmm. but it can literally show you depending on how many more working years you would like to have, how much money you have saved, even if it's zero, and then how much you invest at certain interest rates. It can show you what kind of an income you can create. So mm-hmm. there's really good tools right now where you can start playing with them and understanding what you need to do. If you have less time, you need Mm -hmm. to either lower your standards for where you'd like to retire, or you need to figure out how to make more money. But these are things that people really need to start thinking about right now, because, you know, let's face it. I mean, social security was created for people, you know, that are out, they're outliving the Mm -hmm. expectation when it was created. 
Um, you know, our, our country's not managing money super well right now. No. Social security was never meant to be a retirement plan. And, you know, people have to start thinking about these things. So Anne-Marie, thank you so much for doing this for me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And uh, if anyone has any questions for her, feel free to get a hold of me. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Money Hole podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, download, and leave us a comment. Bye.